God truly does have everything under control. Pastor Steve had mentioned this morning that we've probably never seen a time like it is in this country, in this nation. The chaos and the anger, the hatred, the vitriol, the perversion is everywhere. It's on every side. And I don't know about you, but I keep looking for a measure of hope out of the mouth of mankind. And it's nowhere to be found. You can look at CNN, you can look at Fox News, you can look at CBS, NBC, ABC. It doesn't make any difference where you look. There is no resolve to the lawlessness, to the chaos in the world today. There is no resolve that man has because the thoughts of a man's heart is continuously wicked. Pastor Steve mentioned that this morning too. Out of the abundance of the heart shall the tongue speak. And we hear on TV all of the perversion coming out of people's mouths. And, and, they're, and they're taking uh, cans of spray paint and, and uh, spraying graffiti on the walls and on the, and on the sidewalks. Destruction. And, you know, I was thinking about it this morning. The Antichrist that is to come, the Bible refers to the Antichrist as the lawless one. The lawless one. And what we're going through today is but birth pains. And as we get closer and closer, you know, those, those contractions and those pains get worse and worse and worse. But God has got everything under control. It's all under control. So church, don't be dismayed. Don't be discouraged. Don't feel like you have been uh, left as an orphan. God has got everything under complete and absolute utter control. You see, man never had any control anyway. God always has. So what we're seeing today is only the birth pains of that which is to come. As we studied last year in the book of Revelation, the church is going to be called out. And then it's going to begin the tribulation, three and a half years. And the second three and a half years is the great tribulation. But I just want to encourage you, keep looking up, keep pressing on, keep coming to church, keep reading your word, keep praying. Let's keep lifting one another up for Jesus Christ because we need prayers. We need to encourage one another. But you know something, as me and Melania was talking today, you know, we were placed here in a time such as this. God has put you here for this time. For this purpose. And so, don't worry. Don't fear. I've got a home far greater than this world could ever prepare anyway. And this has nothing to do with my message. But I almost totally redone my message because I really had this on my heart. I thought, you know, somebody needs, needs to stand up and let the world know. Uh, obviously, we're, we're, we're running on... Uh, uh, Facebook and YouTube right now, 
And I just, wanna, I just want the world to know that God has got everything under absolute control. And we don't have to be shaken. We don't have to be moved. So we'll get on to our scripture here tonight. We're in the book of John. Now, until tonight, it's been several uh, weeks, maybe, maybe a few months since we've had Sunday evening service. And uh, so we're here tonight, and I'm glad to be here. I'm glad that you're here. And if you're listening by way of Facebook, we're not in my living room tonight. We're back in our church building, and we welcome you to be back here tonight. Amen. It is such an honor, though, to stand behind this sacred pulpit and preach a sacred gospel about a sacred Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You heard a whole lot about Jesus Christ this morning. You heard a whole lot about him this morning. You heard a whole lot about him last Sunday, and you'll hear a whole lot about him tonight as well. That's all we have to preach. That's all the hope that we have. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. You want life, you'll find him in Jesus. You want the truth, you need to hear about Jesus, and you need to heed his word. Follow him. He'll not lead you astray. Let's look in John 5.30. Jesus says, I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just. Because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who testifies of me, and I know that the testimony which he gives about me is true. You have sent to John... And he has testified to the truth. But the testimony which I receive is not from man. But I say these things so that you may be saved. He was the lamp that was burning and was shining. And you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony which I have is greater than the testimony of John. For the works which the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I do testify about me, that the Father has sent me, and the Father who sent me, he has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his form. You do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe him whom he sent. You search the scriptures, because you think in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me, You are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. I do not receive glory from men, but I know you that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. I have come in my Father's name, and I do not receive, and you do not receive me. If anyone comes in his own name, you'll receive him. How can you believe when you receive the glory from another? And you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God. Do you not think that I will accuse you before the Father? The one who accuses you is Moses in whom you have set your hope. If you believe Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you. For you the blessed hope that we find in your sacred word. 
The Holy Script, every single letter is so precious and so dear to our hearts tonight. Lord, we're thankful for the salvation that only you can bring. Lord, we're thankful for the hope that only you can give us. Lord, we're thankful that you are, have gone to prepare a place for a people who are prepared to receive you. Oh, Father, we thank you for the blessed hope that we have. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for all of the goodness and all the mercy and the grace. Lord, we pray for those who are lost and undone without you. We pray tonight, Lord, something can be said in your word that will lead people to the cross of Jesus Christ. Oh, the glorious gospel, the good news, Lord. Help us to hold to it in times like we live in right now. Lord, the darkness of this world, Lord, is so much. But, Lord, we know that, that, there, that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We know, Lord, that, that you will not leave us comfortless, but you have indeed sent unto us a comforter, the Holy Spirit. And, Lord, the Holy Spirit dwells in our souls tonight, and we know that, Lord. Lord, we feel you. We hear you. We know that you're there, you know, and we know that you'll stick closer than a brother, and we give you praise and honor. In Jesus' holy name we pray tonight. Amen. To give us some context here tonight, looking back over the chapter 5 of the book of John, our Lord came into Jerusalem. Our Lord, he heals an impotent man there. He heals an invalid man at the pool of Bethesda. He had been sick or he had been crippled, whatever the case may be, for 38 years. And this incident, it stimulates quite a stir. It stimulated a stir for Jesus had told this man to pick up his bed, pick up his pallet, and walk. Told him to pick it up and walk. Remember, he had been uh, unable to do anything like that for 38 years. And here comes the Lord on the Sabbath day in Jerusalem there at, at the pool of Bethesda. And he has this man to, to stand up and not only stand up and walk, but to pick up his bed, showing the strength that he gave him instantaneously, complete healing. And it caused quite a stir among the, the, the Jewish religious leaders. They began to persecute him. They began to persecute him. So from verse 17 to the end of this chapter, Jesus defended himself for healing a lame man on the Sabbath. It was an act that the Jewish authorities considered to be a blatant violation of the Sabbath law. So in response, Jesus answers th answered them back in verse 17. He says, my father is working until now, and I myself am working. Now, this didn't please those Jewish leaders one lick, I'm telling you. He asserted here his equality with the father, and thus his right to work on the Sabbath was just as the Father had the right to work on the Sabbath. So they were shocked by what they considered to be blasphemous. They were shocked by his claim to be deity. You see, because Jesus claimed to be the very Son of God, he claimed to be equal with God. He claimed that God was his Father. So the Jews, they felt justified in their efforts to kill Jesus because, after all, he's a blasphemer, they say. So Jesus responded by strengthening his claims to equality with God by doing equal works, equally giving life, 
equally uh, receiving equal honor and equally executing final judgment on all. You see, God the Father gave God the Son all the authority over all of the creation to do whatever needed to be done, basically to do the Lord uh, or the Father's will. So our Lord's claim is validated by various testimonies that we will cover here tonight, being guided by the Holy Spirit, of course, all along the way. Lord, lead us and guide us tonight. When challenged by his critics regarding his works on the Sabbath, Jesus claims equality with God, and it seemed blasphemous to these men who were themselves blasphemous because he challenged, they challenged the Son of God. But look at this, John 5.30. He says, I can do nothing on my own initiative. Now, that is a straightforward claim that Jesus is saying here. Jesus is saying, I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Verse 31, if I alone testify about myself, my testimony is not true. Now, the Lord is going to show that there, that there are witnesses to the fact that his claims are true. So he says here in verse 32, there is another who testifies of me. And I know that the testimony which he gives about me is true. Jesus had the witness of John the Baptist. So the Jewish authorities had sent a delegation delegation to John. They were asking him who he was. Remember? They asked John, who are you? What are you doing? What are you doing down here baptizing in in the river of Jordan? Jesus said here in verse 33, You have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. Then we look in verse 34. But the testimony which I receive is not from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. Now, John the Baptist, he was a faithful witness. And Jesus says of John here in verse 35, He was a lamp that was burning and was shining, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. Now, Jesus had the witness of his works. Now, we know that. We know that Jesus performed many, many uh, miraculous works that only God could perform. Now, let's look back at John 5.30 here again. John 5.30. He says, I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Now, what we have here is the Son of God is saying that I can do nothing on my own initiative. The Lord echoes, the Lord echoes what He's essentially already affirmed here in verse 19. Verse 19 says, Therefore, Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of Himself unless it is something He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. Now, let's look at that for just a a moment. Therefore, Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself. The Son can do nothing of of himself. Back in verse 30, he said, I can do nothing on my own initiative. You see, the Father sent His Son from heaven to earth with a a divine authority to do the very works of the Father. With regards to true justice, the Son of God has been given all the authority 
by the Father to judge exactly as the Father would. You see, there's not any competition between the Father and the Son whatsoever. The Son came in human form, and He came to do precisely what God the Father wanted Him to do. He didn't come to do His own will. He didn't come to build His own kingdom. He didn't come to establish His own throne. But He came to die for you and I. So being one with the Father, Jesus' judgment is completely righteous. His sentence will be justified, and the whole world will be judged by Him in righteousness. For those, for those who committed evil deeds, they, the, even though they died, they're going to come forth one day, having been resurrected from the grave, and they are going to stand before Almighty God. And they're going to tremble. John 8, 16 says, But even if I do judge, Jesus says, My judgment is true, for I am not alone in it, but I am the Father who sent me. So the Lord Jesus Christ is in absolute and complete submission here. And let me pause here for just a moment. If Jesus Christ is the Lord of our lives, would you agree that whatever Jesus loved, you and I should love? Whatever Jesus longed for and hoped for, should that not be what we long for and hope for? Jesus' whole business was God's business, God the Father's business. His whole life was about God the Father. Don't think that Jesus thinks one thing and God the Father thinks something else. Don't think that Jesus of the New Testament thinks something different from the God of the Old Testament. They're perfectly in union, complete in utter union. So, being one with the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ is a righteous judge. His judgment is going to be righteous, and He's going to sentence those who reject him, he's going to sentence the world. The whole world is going to be judged by his righteousness. We serve a merciful, glorious Savior, Jesus Christ. But you know something? He is just. He is just. As much as he loves you and me, as much as he died for the world, his judgment is going to be absolutely just. That's what the Scriptures say. Well, those who committed evil deeds are going to, to, to be resurrected from the grave. And as I said, they're going to stand before God and they're going to give a, an account. But we find here that in complete submission with the Father in Him and He in the Father, Jesus says, as I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just. So at the beginning... At the beginning of, uh, of all of creation, the Lord Jesus Christ is creator. The Lord Jesus Christ was there. Then he became Lord as our Savior. He was creator. He's Savior. But he's coming in the end. He's going to be judge. Oh, yes, the world is going to stand in judgment before a loving God. He's just in all of his ways. He'll judge the righteous, the unrighteous, at the great white throne judgment. We talked about that in the book of Revelation. Jesus said, 
And my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Here again, the Lord has stated his, pur- his purpose was not to do his own will, but to do the will of the Father. I hope that's your will tonight. Doesn't matter if you're man, woman, boy, or girl. I hope your will is to do what the Father's will is. If what we're doing in life runs contrary to what the Father's will is, we need to reevaluate what our thinking. Jesus even stated it this way to his disciples, that he'd returned with food from a nearby town to Jacob's well in Samaria. Here in John 4 and 36, or 34, Jesus said to them, look at this closely. Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Jesus was hungry. We know that he sat there by, the, by, the, uh, by Jacob's well, and he spoke with the Samaritan woman. And when his disciples came back from town with food, they offered him food. And he, he told them, he said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. You remember in Christ's priestly prayer, he prayed to the Father here in Matthew 6, 10. He says, your kingdom come, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Those are powerful, powerful words. That's to say it doesn't make any difference what I think. But thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Complete submission to God is where we ought to be, believers. We ought to. While here in the Garden of Gethsemane, the Lord Jesus, his soul was deeply grieved. It was deeply grieved to the point of death. And Jesus fell on his face, the Word of God says. And he says that he prayed there in the Garden of Gethsemane here in Matthew 26, 39. Look at this. And he went a little beyond them, and he fell on his face, and he prayed, saying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will. What does it say? But as you will. Complete submission. Returning a second time to pray after finding his disciples asleep. He found them asleep. They were supposed to be praying. But he found them asleep. And Jesus prayed here in Matthew 26, 42. He says, my father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. He was looking at Calvary. He was looking at the pain and the suffering that he knew that he was about to have to endure. What a loving God we serve. Your will be done. Friend, if you truly want to be like the Son of God, oh, we all say we want to be like Jesus. Let's be more like Jesus. Well, then we need to love what Jesus loved. We need to seek what Jesus seeks. I believe this is Scripture that we're preaching tonight. I believe it's absolute truth that's coming from my lips tonight. You, you need to understand that we can't, 
walk with one foot in the world along with the devil and walk with with the other foot in heaven claiming to be born again believers. The Bible tells us to examine ourselves to see if we're in the faith. If you want to be like Jesus, you'll have to seek to do the will of the Father. That is what the Jesus of the Bible came to do. We can make up a Jesus, but the Jesus of the Bible came to do the will of the Father. I'm afraid nowadays a, a, lot, of, a lot of folks have created their own Jesus, a, G, a Jesus that, that really didn't mean what he said. A Jesus that, that, that would run contradictory to God, the Father. That's not the Jesus of the Bible. He says, my, my will is to, is to do the will of the Father. Verse 31 says, if I alone testify about myself, my testimony is not true. Now, according to the Jewish law, truth or validity had to be established by two or three witnesses. If you and I were to go into court and we were to claim that we were innocent, our testimony, my testimony in support of myself wouldn't weigh much. But if I had witnesses, if I had witnesses, eyewitnesses that knew, that that could corroborate what I said, then that would mean a whole lot. And so Jesus was playing along with with him here. He says, If I alone testify about myself, my testimony is not true. Now, he's not saying that his testimony isn't true in the sense that it's not factual, but he's saying in the the Jewish courts, my testimony wouldn't be considered. So according to the Jewish law, truth and validity had to be established by two or three witnesses. So Jesus is saying here that that his testimony really is true, but it wouldn't be true to these uh, rebellious and uh, uh, the the Jewish folks that that are the lead, uh, supposedly the leaders, and they absolutely uh, uh, despise Jesus. So they had to he had to have other witnesses. So Jesus is saying is here is if I alone test about myself, my testimony is not admissible as legal evidence. So as a sole witness, Jewish law based upon legal grounds, wouldn't accept Jesus' testimony in the legal process. Now, our Lord is going to show that there was a witness to the fact that his claims are true, that he is indeed the Son of God. This is so important that Jesus is not an imposter, that Jesus is who he claimed to be. So he says here in verse 32, he says, There is another who testifies of me. And I know that the testimony which he gives about me is true. Now, Christ Jesus says there is another who who testifies about me. Who is that other? That other is God the Father. God the Father would testify because we, we find here in the two verses down here in verse 34, he says, but the testimony which I receive is not from man. So he's not talking about man's testimony. So he's talking about God's testimony, God the Father's testimony. Therefore, the another that Christ is referring to is God the Father. And Jesus gives testimony to the Father's truth here. Look at this. And John 5, 33, Jesus says, You have sent to John 
and he has testified to the truth. So we have God the Father who gave testimony. The first and the foremost witness of the Son would be God the Father. The Father's witness includes temporary witness of John the Baptist, John the Baptist himself. If you recall those those precious words, John said, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. The testimony of John the Baptist was preparing the nation for the Messiah and, to the, and for the identity of Christ. His job was to identify him to those in the nation of Israel. So Jesus had the witness of the Father. Secondly, the Scriptures say here that Jesus had the witness of John the Baptist. The Jewish authorities had sent a delegation to John asking him who he was And he, that is John, had testified to the truth here. Jesus says in John 5, 33, you have sent to John and he has testified to the truth. You see, they they knew that John was a prophet. There had not been a prophet come along in 400 years. So no one could really uh, speak with the authority that John had until Jesus Christ himself came along. So John's testimony supported Jesus' claim to be the Messiah. John said, I am not the Christ. I am not Elijah. I am not the prophet. John said, I baptize in water, but among you stands one who you do not know. It is he who comes after me, the thong of whose sandals I am unworthy to untie. Now, of course, just like their fathers had rejected the prophet's God had sent to him, to him, the Jewish authorities, they rejected John the Baptist's witness as well. Verse 34 says, but the testimony which I receive is not from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. Jesus didn't rely upon a man. Jesus did not rely or he didn't plead the witness of a mere man. You see, Jesus didn't receive the witness uh, of men, for he knew what was in man. He knows what man is made of. He knows how, how um, a sinful that a man's heart is. The Bible says that thoughts of a man's heart are continuously wicked. So Jesus is saying here, I don't depend on human testimony, but I say these things for your sake, so that you may be saved on account of John's faithful witness. So John the Baptist, he was a faithful Faithful witness. Remember, Jesus said there's none greater than John the Baptist. Prior to Jesus, there was none greater than John the Baptist. Verse 35, he said, he was a lamp. He's talking about John. He was a lamp that was burning and was shining. And you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. You know, folks like excitement. Folks like things that are new. Folks like something that seems to be a lot going on there, and it draws their attention. So they'll, they'll, they'll draw to that light for a little while. John was burning as a lamp. He was burning in, as a lamp in the sense that he possessed a burning passion. Lord, give us all that passion. John had a burning passion, a burning fire, a burning inspiration. John was shining as a lamp. He shined as a lamp in the sense that he shined with wisdom and with intelligence. Remember how he was clothed? He was was clothed in, in camel's hair. 
He came uh, a rough-looking character, his hair all long, and, and uh, uh, he was eating locusts and wild honey. You know something? You don't want to shine unless you burn. If you've got to burn in your heart today, for Jesus Christ, you want to shine. If you care less about shining, there's no burning going on. We need to burn. We need to ask the Lord to light a fire in us. In these times in which we live, what better time is it that we let our light so shine before men? Now is the time. Today is the day. The fields are white. The harvest is ready. But the laborers are few. They're scattering. They're leaving the churches. Just this week, I heard of a, of a, of a song leader in some Christian group that denounced, denounced his faith in God. And he was out going to, to different Christian venues, supposedly trying to lead people to Christ. And there's been many others, many pastors. There's been pastors that have, that have, that have walked out of church. They threw in the towel and they've quit because I believe like Peter. I believe they got to looking at the storm. I believe they got to looking at how rough things were getting and lost hope. I'm here to tell you, we need to hold on no matter how rough it gets. If the, sea, if, the, if, the, if the ship goes under, go under praising God all the way. I look for his return, don't you? The Bible says it's he that who endures to the end shall be saved. He tells us to run the race, to win. We run it to win, right? Run to win. If everybody else decides to go burn buildings down, if everybody else decides to, to get angry and take up weapons and go out and murder and slaughter brother, neighbor, keep your faith in Christ. Keep your faith in Christ. They're following the wrong leader. They're following Satan himself. That's what they're doing. Be not deceived. Be not deceived. He is the lawless one. But John, he shined regardless of where he was. John, he shined in the wilderness. John shined when he was over there in prison. John shined in the place of honor. John shined in the place of dishonor. John shined wherever he was. When the crowds were drawn to him, and when the crowds left him, John shined. Pastor Steve, when the crowds come to us, let's shine. When the crowds scatter, brother, let's shine for Jesus Christ. If they won't let us preach here, we'll go out in the street and preach. Amen. Church, you too are the lamp. You're the lamp. And I hope that you're burning I hope that you're shining in the work that God has given you to do. You've got a job to do. You've got loved ones that need to be saved. Don't quit. Don't you quit on them. You keep telling them about Jesus Christ. Listen, I have to live this very, this, these very words. Don't you quit on them. 
Keep going. Keep telling them about Christ. I'm not angry. I'm passionate. I'm passionate. And I hope you're burning and shining for the work for the Lord as John the Baptist did. I don't want to mosey through this life and watch people around me die lost. I don't. That's why I'll work three days on a message and deliver it to you in 30, 40, 45 minutes. Why do I do that? Because it's, it's the work that God has given me to do. But he's given you a work to do too. Are you passionate about it? Pastor Steve was saying this morning, you know, if, if, if there's something that God has given you to do, find it here in the church, on the stage, here, out back there. Just find a place and go to work. Go to work. Roll your sleeves up and go to work. It'll do you so good. But being that he was the first prophet to come along in 400 years, you know, brother, listen, there were, there were thrill seekers, and they rejoiced at John's ministry for a short season. They were superficially drawn to John, but they lacked genuine repentance. Pastor Steve spoke about repentance this morning. We need repentance. We need to turn away from sin. No one lifted a finger to try to deliver John when he was arrested by Herod. And ultimately, they turned away from John. They turned away from the light of truth that John reflected because they loved the evil deeds of darkness. That's where we are today. People love the evil deeds of darkness. They know we're here. They've seen the signs. They see us on Facebook. There's 10 or 15 watching right now. But there's a thousand that that flick right on by us. They know we're here. Let's not kid ourselves. They don't want what we have. And it's sad. But it's the truth. But don't you be discouraged. You keep on keeping on for Christ's sake. You keep on keeping on for Him. Ultimately, they turned away. These folks turned away from John. After the thrill was gone, after the newness was gone, they turned away. A third witness John, that Jesus had was the witness of His works. The first witness was the witness of the Father. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Remember that down there when He was baptized? There was the voice of God. The voice of God spoke in the Old Testament as well on various occasions. So Jesus had the witness of the Father. Jesus had the witness of John the Baptist. And the third witness I want to mention here, as I said, is His works. The miracles that Jesus performed was a witness to Him being the Son of God. Verse 36 says, But the testimony which I have is greater than the testimony of John. For the works which the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I do testify about me, that the Father has sent me. John the Baptist, he performed no miracles. The multitude of mighty works and a perfect life speaks volumes to Jesus' claim. His works was to just was to solidify or to validate that he was precisely who he said he was. 
Matter of fact, down there by the pool of, of Bethesda, there was a multitude of people there. But he went up to this one man and healed this one man. He could have healed them all. He didn't come to take away crippled people. He didn't come to take away sickness. He didn't come to work miracles just so people would follow him. But he came for the purpose. He showed those miracles so that they would know that he wasn't false, that he was who he said he was. So Jesus was about the Father's business at a very young age. We know that. He lived in perfect harmony with the will of his Father. Make no mistakes about it. Jesus Jesus accomplished the very work that the Father gave him to do. He certainly did, giving the Father all the glory all the while. So despite the supernatural works performed, there were many who still rejected Jesus. So we have God the Father. He was the first witness. He gave the first testimony. We have the Holy Spirit, the second witness, gave a testimony. The third witness, as I said, is is Jesus' miracles. He has a fourth one here. Well, actually, it's the same one. uh, Jesus had the witness of the Father. Verse 37 says, And the Father who sent me, he has testified of me. You neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. You do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe him whom he sent. The Gospels record two specific instances in which the Father gave verbal testimony to the Son at his baptism and at his transfiguration when a voice out of heaven said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So throughout Israel's history, God audibly and visibly interacted with his people. He spoke to Moses. He spoke to the Israelites uh, of the Exodus, and he spoke to the prophets of old. But the hard-hearted Jews, we have some hard-hearted Americans today, but the hard-hearted Jews of Jesus' day who had the Old Testament Scripture and the full revelation of God in Christ Jesus still did not have God's Word abiding in them. The Word says for, for. They didn't believe Jesus. They didn't believe that God had sent him. They refused to listen to Jesus, God's final revelation to mankind. And in so doing, they displayed their total ignorance of God since those who reject, those who reject Jesus cannot know the Father. If you want to get to the Father, you must know the Son. You must know the Son. You must be in union. You must be one. With the Son. Not just, not just a no here, but a union with the Lord Jesus Christ if you want to get to the Father. So Jesus had the witness of Scriptures. He says here in verse 39, He says, You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me, and you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. The Jews had already been in a desperate and futile search for the key. They wanted the key to eternal life. Many today are roaming the world looking for the key to eternal life. They're trying this 
and that. They're trying drugs. They're trying different uh, false deities. They're trying meditation and, and different, and different uh, other acts to find a better way to eternal life. Or at, at the very least, to extend this life as, as far as they can. But these folks, they failed to grasp that it, was, that it is those very scriptures that testify about our Lord. So apart from the Holy Spirit's illumination or transformed mind, the scriptures can't be properly understood. We have to, we have, to have the indwelling Holy Spirit and we have to have a transformed mind to understand what the scriptures are saying. You see, the Jewish leaders were totally missing this. They were missing. Jesus was all in the Old Testament, and they were missing it. They were missing it. So the Jews, they were searching for the key to, to eternal life, and they had no idea that he stood right before them. Here he was. He had come just like it had been prophesied that he would. That, that he would. So as he stands here before them, they have no idea that he is the key to eternal life. He is the Savior. He would bring a way that man could be born again and live eternally, never more to die. Like many today, they're unwilling to come to Jesus, who is the only source, as I said, of eternal life. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the life. You want life? Come to me. And he continues to speak to him here in verse 41. He says, I do not receive glory from men, but I know you, that you do not have the love of the Father in yourselves. I have come in my Father's name. You do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you'll receive him. You'll receive him. You see, our Lord Jesus did not receive glory from men. Anything but... They demanded that a murderer be released to them. And they demanded that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, be crucified. The Lord said, I know you. He knows you. The Lord knows you. He said, I know you. That you do not have the love of God in yourself. Speaking to these Jewish leaders. The superficial honor from those who privately hate him is worthless. He doesn't want false worship. He doesn't want false superficial honor. He wants your heart. He wants your soul. He wants your mind. He wants all of you, not a piece of you, but all of you, all of you, A-L-L. So Jesus refused to seek honor from men. And compared with every other human being who has ever lived or ever will live, Jesus is the most deserving of all honor. You won't find anyone who will ever come along that will deserve more honor than Christ our Lord. Yet the Jewish leaders didn't give him any honor. Someday the Antichrist is coming. We spoke of it. We learned of it there in the book of Revelation. The Antichrist is coming and the world will receive him. They're going to receive him with arms wide open. They rejected Christ, but the Antichrist will come in his own name and will have an image made of himself and they're going to receive him. So Jesus questions them, and I'm about done here. Bear with me. Jesus says here in verse 44, How can you believe 
when you receive glory from one another and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God. What is Jesus saying here? Jesus is saying, in effect, how can I be glorified as your Lord when you are the one seeking glory? The question is a rhetorical one. Obviously, those engaged in seeking glory from one another, they don't deserve themselves or they don't deserve uh, or they don't humble themselves uh, in order to believe in the glorious Lord Jesus Christ, which is the only way to seek the glory that is uh, from the one and the only God. And the Lord makes a stunning statement to them. He says here in verse 45, he says, Do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you, Jewish leaders, the one who accuses you is Moses, in whom you have set your hope. They had set their hope in Moses. You better not set your hope in Moses. You better not. The very one in whom they had set their hope, Moses, is going to be their very accuser, according to Scripture. To tell them that Moses was accusing them was a great blow. It was a great insult to them. The Jewish leaders must have been infuriated by this statement. Nevertheless, Jesus said it. And the Pharisees uh, prided themselves on being the true followers of their ancestor, Moses. And they followed, they followed every one of his laws to the letter. They even added uh, some of their own. Jesus warned that Moses was accusing them, and it stunned them, and it caused them to go into a fury. They hated the words that Jesus was speaking. This was a great rebuke to them. It was a great reality, but it was a great awakening. There was one greater than Moses that had come. There was one greater than John the Baptist that had come, and he stood before them. The very one they had set their hope in was going to be their accuser. So in a final condemnation on the Jewish leaders, Jesus says here in verse 46 and 47, He says, For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? The men standing before Jesus, they professed to believe Moses but they did not, not really. If they'd really believed Moses, they would have believed what Moses said. They didn't believe what Moses said about the promised Messiah. They didn't believe, uh, they didn't live as Moses lived. Their profession would be condemned by the very one whom they said they trusted, by Moses himself. The Jewish religious leaders and the authorities rejected the fourfold testimony that we've spoke about here tonight. The testimony of John the Baptist, the works of Jesus, the testimony of the Father, and the Scriptures of Christ's deity. Christ, Jesus Christ, was indeed the Son of God. So as a result, the most heinous act of apostasy in history was when they crucified their own Messiah. That was a heinous act of apostasy. And many today, many today want nothing to do with him. But he's my Lord and Savior. He's your Lord and Savior. And he's gone to heaven to prepare a place for you.
Isn't that wonderful? And nothing can take it away. The devil can't snatch it out of your hand. We can't be snatched out of the hand of Jesus. And that's wonderful news. Stand with me if you will. Next week, Lord willing, we will be here uh, Sunday night and we'll go into chapter 6 of of the gospel according to John. And we'll get into the 5,000 that were fed, another miracle that Jesus did, the 5,000 men and, of course, the women and the children with just a, a few loaves of bread and a few fishes. But I'm thankful that the Lord Jesus is a provider. We need to pray for our nation. I'd like to take this moment for us to pray for our nation. Let's pray for these people that seem that they're, they're angry, and I don't even think they know what they're angry about. I really don't. It was, it was terrible that the man was, was killed in the street. It was an awful, awful thing. No one supports that. No one uh, believes that that was okay, not in any form or, or fashion, any way. But to go out and, and create more violence. There's no excuse. It's lawlessness. It's people who do not want any authority. They don't want the authority that God has given our our leaders over us. And they certainly don't want the authority of God over them. And they reject Him at every turn. They curse Him and they mock you and I. That's what we're dealing with. They're irrational. Father, we pray. For these who, who are so lost in their ways, Lord, their souls desperately need you. Lord, they're angry. And they don't even realize why they're, they're angry. It's as if they're, they're possessed by, by anger and hatred, perhaps possessed by a demon. Lord, we're just, we pray for their souls, Lord. We pray that you deliver them. We pray, Lord, for the regeneration. Awaken their, their hearts to the truth. We know, Lord, you can take someone who is vile and wicked and you can turn them into a saint of God. There is hope for them. And, Lord, as your church, we pray, God, that you will guide their hearts and their minds, Lord. Put their weapons down. Stop the destruction. And if they're angry, if they're angry at what the world has given them, if they're angry at what our laws have placed upon them, if they're angry because of whatever reason, Lord, we just pray that, Lord, you'll replace that anger with a compassion, that you'll replace that anger with a hunger for the truth. Lord, we know that God is not the author of confusion. We know that there is a a, a deceiver. And the Bible speaks of the times like we're going through right now. And Lord, your church truly believes that your coming is very, very soon. But Lord, give us strength that we may not grow weary, that we will not grow faint, that we'll not grow discouraged. But God, that we just pray that your power sustain us, keep a smile in our hearts and upon our face. God, and help us to persevere through this 
tumultuous time that we're in. Lord, we pray for our children, our grandchildren. We pray for our neighbors. We pray for friends and loved ones that are lost and undone without you. Lord, you can reach them in ways that we can't come close. Father, we pray for the anointing of the Holy Spirit upon our church, upon our worship leaders, upon our deacons, upon our pastors, upon all of our members, and upon our visitors. We pray, Lord, that you just put the joy and the peace that, that, that is beyond all comprehension in our hearts, Lord. And help us, Lord, to continue to trust in you and to look to you and to encourage one another. For, Lord, we're in this world together. And you said you'd never leave us. You would never forsake us. So, Lord, we know that you're near at all times. Lord, we pray for Hope in Christ Fellowship, that, Lord, you will fill this place up with people who are truly hungry for the truth, for people who are truly searching for answers. And we know that in your word that we present Sunday morning and Sunday night, that, Lord, it's the truth and nothing but the truth. Lord, help us to be light, to be salt in this world. We give you praise and honor tonight, Lord, for everything that you do for us. Lord, thank you for everyone that's here tonight. Lord, give them a good week. We pray, Father, that just you just, Lord, give them a hunger for you. And may they return and be with us next week. Father, we thank you. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Everybody have a wonderful, wonderful week. I, uh, I hope you've enjoyed tonight.